Welcome to Binge or Purge Streaming Reviews. I am your host, Demo. My co-host is Joe Taylor. This is episode 54. Hey, welcome back, man. You're doing good? You're healthy? I'm here. Okay. Don't get me sick, man. Don't get me sick. Okay. We're social distancing, folks, which we actually, as stand-up comics, we do naturally anyway. Yeah. Like I said, I've been social distancing since high school. (laughs) Guess what, Joe? What? We have an actual interview this episode. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about it. I know. You want to set it up or you want me to? You set it up. Okay, so there's a new uh, cartoon, which we all know Demo loves cartoons. Animated series. Sure, called Solar Opposites on Hulu. It's eight episodes. They're about half an hour long. About 20 to 24 minutes, the average. Okay, and it came out, uh, was it May 5th or something? About May 8th. May 8th, okay. We have both watched it. And yep. we got uh, through some friend of a friend of yours or something got... We got it through a listener. Oh, through a listener. Okay. Karen Parada. Oh, thank She's you, She's a friend of the show, and she hooked us up with our first interview of 2020. And we're going to do it right now. All right, let's get to it. Our guest this week is animation director extraordinaire Anthony Chun. You have seen his work on several Fox shows, including King of the Hill, Bob's Burgers, and of course, Adult Swim's Rick and Morty, and he's currently the uh, supervising director on Hulu's Solar Opposites. Anthony, thank you for being on Binge or Purge. Thank you very much. Uh, It's nice to be here. Before we get started, I just want to say uh, the Pickle Rick episode, you won an Emmy for it. When you're yes. making that, when you're when you're at work, are you thinking I've got myself a winner here, or is this just another episode? No, when I that was so I joined Rick and Morty on season three. I was already a big fan of the mm-hmm. show. The first two seasons blew me away, so I was thrilled to get the chance to work on Rick and Morty and uh, the very first script when I walked in the office that was waiting at my desk was Pickle Rick. I was like, what the hell is this? And then I read through it and I was like, this is incredible. I, I couldn't believe my luck, you know, to have an episode that was half dialogue, like completely dialogue driven, all that stuff in the therapist's office, and then half just balls out action, completely visually driven. So I was like, I, I just as an op, as a, as a, as an opportunity for a director, I always look for things where I can just flex. I can, I can do things that, that excite me, draw from film and, and uh, you know, just, uh, you know, all the visual reference that I, that I, that I love and put it all into this, this, you know, perfectly, uh, polished little diamond and that 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 episode was you know really I think it I, while I was making it I I knew I knew that this was going to be a, an iconic you know uh, episode of television and and I, so I just I, I just totally threw myself into it and uh, you know th- brought all my storyboard artists to their to their highest you know level and 
and really, really pushed as much as I could in, in every direction. So. so when you came in and you said it was your first episode, right? Yes. Did they really give you the freedom that you wanted? Did you feel like you could really go where you wanted to go with it? You know, that episode totally sailed through without almost without any notes. It was incredible. Like they just basically gave me free reign. Um, and it, 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 it was at once extremely difficult in the sense that it, I felt the burden to make this what it needed to be. But then at the same time, it was actually, it actually flew through the process. So I wasn't wrangling, like trying to kind of deal with note passes and changes and things like that. It was purely like all the energy that went into it went into just refining and polishing and building it up from the foundation that we built visually. So it was, it was a really blessed episode uh, from the script phase. I heard that the script phase too, like it, it sailed through the process as well. So it was one of those remarkable kind of blessed miracle little episodes. Yeah. I had heard about Rick and Morty, but you have to be honest, I hadn't really watched it. But everyone's like, you have to start it just to watch the Pickle Rick episode. They're like, and, and then it started, it just blew up on social media. And I was like, all right, I got, I got to get in on this. And I was not expecting, I didn't know what to expect really, but a full bore action movie was not what I had in mind. And it was fantastic. Yeah. And it's, it's a funny thing to see like this little pickle doing all the things that, you know, in Die Hard and in all these, you know, kind of John Woo movies, you know, just tearing it up. And so that that was just the absurdity of that. Just on a visual level, like it makes it funny, you know, to see this tiny little thing, you know, just just destroying, you know, rats and, you know, bodyguard, like, you know, kind of assassins and stuff like it's just it's just amazing. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And then of course you win the Emmy for it. I mean, incredible. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's a cherry on top of it all. Yeah, yeah. for sure, for yeah. sure. Now, now, are you still working on Rick and Morty, or is it done? Is it still happening? I've Yes, no, Rick and Morty is still happening. I've shifted all of my um, attention over to Solar Office. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, so I'm, I'm supervising that full-time. Now, I wanted to okay. ask you, what's the difference between directing an episode and being a supervisor for an entire series? So the supervisor for the entire series, uh, so as a, as a director, I will get a specific episode, a script, and then I will, I'll like um, basically work on that specific one uh, from beginning to end. As a supervising director, I will work with a team, of, I have a team of four directors, and I kind of generally oversee the production of the entire season. So the I'll I'll go to a director and we'll go over storyboards together and I'll I'll kind of, you know, make suggestions and kind of refine ideas, push push them kind of gently in the right direction, you know, towards towards what I think will be the optimal way of telling this story visually. Um, so that that's what I do. It's it's more like I, I generally oversee everything from from the entire season from beginning to end. Right now, I've got to say I thoroughly enjoyed it. I watched all eight episodes, but episode seven, to me, right. come on, the wall people. Yeah. I mean, yes. and also I love how they teased it 
you know, with the, the, you know, the synopsis, it's all about them, you know, going to get a bear from the zoo. <laughs> right. So I, I, I click on it and I'm like, <laughs> total, I loved it. I love, I love those type of things. That to me was the peak of the season. It was so layered, literally, you know, I mean, yeah. fantastic yeah. work. Who was the brainchild behind this concept to take like a, like a gag that's been spread out throughout episodes, but then to go full bore, like a, almost like a feature with it. Well, that was, you know, uh, Justin and Mike McMahon. Um, I think that they had this plan when they conceived the entire season to have this kind of serialized subplot throughout the entire season that would take place um, following these, these people who have been shrunk down by these aliens in this wall. And they would play the wall stuff like totally straight, you know. Oh, I yeah. Mean, not to- I mean, it's still funny but it, it, yeah. it's much more like kind of almost mo- half mockingly uh serious um but uh yeah then then they decided to do an entire episode behind the wall and um for that uh episode i i you know i told them to reference a lot of actually silent cinema like um uh, fritz lang's metropolis um, has a lot of this kind of like dystopian, you know, city with with the aristocracy at the top and then the the proletarians at the bottom, and, and then there's a giant flood where like all of these these crowds of people are flooded. Um, so I just pointed the storyboard artist and the director towards that, and then also um, Sergei Eisenstein, uh, his the Odessa steps, the Odessa steps Yeah. So when when they're on. So I totally the, got that. I told what I was yeah. watching. I'm like Odessa steps all the way with this. Yes. I could tell. Yes, yes, definitely. That's what yes. I loved about it. All the little references to, mm-hmm. you know, classic cinema, yeah, you know, with yeah. a completely crazy spin on it. You know, I loved it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the wonderful thing about working on a show like solar opposites or Rick and Morty is I get to, I get to draw from my love of the entire kind of body of, 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 of cinema history and, and you know and when I'm working with young storyboard artists like you know I'm I'm showing them these clips from from movies you know and they're just like kind of like wow there's this whole you know history and I try you know try to try to kind of point them in the direction of all of these, these are you movies. finding yourself to be a bit of a historian with them yeah, yeah. I mean, to, 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 I mean, but I'll I'll show them, you know, ridiculous like Japanese gonzo horror stuff too. Like, I mean, I I love I love like uh, uh, the Tokyo Gore Police. There's these gonzo Japanese kind of like horror, uh, you know, kind of sci-fi uh, vampire girl versus versus Frankenstein girl. Like, it just hilarious strange you know underground uh, stuff so i I, you know it's totally like you know high and low but when i get the opportunity to kind of show like oh yeah there's also eisenstein there's also fritz lang you know i'll I'll definitely you know seize upon those opportunities so growing up what would you say the big influences as a child that got you into animation i know you went to yale studied literature but as a Mm -hmm. child what are those things that really got you excited Gosh, you know, well, my family, my my older brother uh, was a big cinephile. Both my parents are like really love movies, old movies, European movies. Um, My brother, my older brother um, 
was a filmmaker and he he showed me when I was very young, you know, like John Carpenter's The Thing and The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. You know, Terminator. We would actually go to the movies together and I was totally underage, but he would take me and we'd watch these movies together. And and um, that was very, very formative uh, in my upbringing. So I had an absolute love of of, of filmmaking and animation specifically because I love to draw. So I had an uncle. He's not really my uncle, but he's my my father's best friend who every time he came by, he would gift us with like these Frank Frazetta, you know, um, uh, collections of, of fantasy art and like science fiction kind of books with, with lots of uh, robots and, and, and spaceships. So that stuff really stuck with me and then I loved reading comic books too um I loved superhero x-men and daredevil and you know all these so I was I would that was kind of like my secret life like Mm -hmm. I I had a very kind of typical you know model minority upbringing so I was always expected to study I practiced violin and I I took violin to a very high level so I practiced in it too but my 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 secret life this this place is freedom was comic books, movies, um, literature that I would read on my own, um, TV. I love TV. And so, you know, whenever I, I had an opportunity, that was, that was the place that I kind of naturally gravitated towards and it was always fun. So that, those, those are kind of my, my roots, um, you know, in terms of the, my, the, the creative, the creative work that I do now, I've always loved, you know, pop culture and then carrying that all the way through to my, my education at Yale, you know, like I, I had the opportunity at, I mean, I, at the end to, to go and study with these great professors. But at the end of it, I was like, well, what do I do with this literature degree? You know, I could either go to law school or I no, could go. No, don't. No. I know, right? Right. Lawyers <laughs> are the can, worst. Yeah, but I consider, you know, like it was like law school or academia. And like both seemed, you know, like really horrible options for me just because I think I would be bad at it and I wouldn't like it and I would probably become suicidal. So I tried my <laughs> hand at drawing uh, comic books. Um, I, I always loved drawing. And so I, I did these sample um, comic book pages and went to comic book conventions and just showed my work there. And th- at that time, it was very easy to access a lot of the direct, uh, the editors um, at these big comic book companies. And then they 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 eventually gave me a, a gig at DC Comics. Uh, one of the editors there liked my work and hired me. From there, I went to Image Comics and I worked with Mark Silvestri at, at Top Cow. And then from there, I did a few you know issues there. And then I took my my comic book portfolio and broke into animation and worked at at, at Sony Animation. Um, doing cleanup and revisions and then quickly became a storyboard artist and then a director on Jackie Chan Adventures did, you know, a bunch of stuff. I have a question about that. You're talking about pop culture. You worked on the Batman and you worked on a Spider-Man uh, project too. Was there some point in your career where you were like, holy crap, I'm working on Batman and Spider-Man? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like, it, it was, especially with the Batman, you know, I was directing on that show and I was, 
um, this is an iconic character. And, you know, I was, I, I really poured myself into that work. Um, and it was just so fun to, to, to draw that character, you know, this character that I grew up with, you know, and, and it was just, it was really thrilling. So I, I spent many, many nights just staying up and <laughs> drawing these storyboards and, um, and, and really, really pouring over every single episode. Um, so yeah, I went from doing that to like eventually working in, in comedy. I got a chance to work with Wes Archer on um, the title sequence for this kid's show called Me, Eloise. And um, I'm very proud of that title sequence, but he liked that sequence so much that he wanted to hire me for King of the Hill. So I started working on that. And that was very interesting. It was going from, you know, intricate, cinematic action to you know guys standing around and talking and so blocking comedy and focusing in on the subtle acting and delivering uh, a, you know really really good comedic performances and 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 timing uh and, and and kind of blocking these shots visualizing a joke that delivers the comedy you know that became another kind of part of my you know uh, a repertoire you know over 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 time I, I built that up so I really have kind of both muscles you know and when I was working on you know King of the Hill and Bob's Burgers it was very much like just looking at how to make something funny and to do it in a very economical and witty way whereas the the action part is much more you know kinetic and dynamic wouldn't you see where you are now though you're using both muscles absolutely and so it was it was it i mean as much as i love working on king of the hill and bob's burgers it did feel it's kind of constraining because you're you're really servicing the script entirely like it, it it's almost the animation is almost a delivery system for dialogue and character whereas on Solar Opposites, on Rick and Morty, like I get to do these like balls out action sequences, gore, sci-fi, like just just wild stuff. And it's it's completely freeing. Like, I mean, I feel totally at home. Awesome. And I get to do the the, the subtle comedy and the, the very intricate, you know, kind of expressions and changing of attitudes, you know, uh, with dialogue. Now, I know there's a second season for Solar Opposites. Is that in the can? Where, where, where is that right now? We're right in the middle of storyboards. Uh, so so you're working through of, all this craziness? You know, we didn't miss a beat. It's incredible. Wow. I'm so blown away by everyone on my crew who has just been able to just shift over, you know, to working at home. But that's that's animation, you know. We're all nerds. We sit at our desk <laughs> and we draw. So all we need is the internet, you know. Right. We need a fast table connection and a decent computer, and we can do it all through email. Actually, I knew that this was possible because the Solar Opposites uh, pilot presentation I directed entirely through email from home because I was working a full-time job at a studio at that, at that point. And then they called me to, to direct the pilot episode. And I said, I can only do, I, I, I read the script and I was blown away. And I said, I have to do this, but you got to let me do it at home. And they were saying, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead, work, work from home. So 
I did it all through email. And so I knew like, if I, if I have reliable people, you know, to work with, you can do it all remotely. And so we're discovering that, you know, now that it's totally possible to do uh, pre-production entirely from, from home. And it, it, cause we're, yeah, that's, we're just, this is what we do. We sit at our desk and we draw. You touched on it briefly, but the the difference I think between this show, um, which I watched too, and I thought it was hilarious. I love the show BoJack Horseman, and this has a lot of the same thing where there's visual gags happening almost separately from the A story. Like there's almost like a second script. It's it's it, does somebody write jokes for what's happening in the background of the show? Some of it, and some of it is just uh, the the artists, and you know, like just coming up with stuff. Like I. I, I'm always so the action sequences like are kept very loose uh, very often. So like all the stuff um, that were you know like the, there was that big zombie teen, teenage party like all that stuff I you know I choreographed a lot of that you know just beat by beat you know went through and said okay th- we need we need all this to happen. Um, so a lot of that and then in the backgrounds we would always kind of put little things like the pupa doing stuff and oh that's the that thing cracks me up man (laughs) yeah yeah so we'd we'd have to keep the action kind of moving in the backgrounds but i always wanted like even while people are you know like in in the dave and buster's sequence with patricia like killing everybody we have this long period of dialogue between jesse and her teacher behind this counter they're hidden behind there and all around them, there's chaos happening. So all of that chaos, like I made sure that we kept action moving around them because they, they just have this exchange. And the way it was originally boarded was just them talking. And so it just you lose a sense of what's going on around them. So I said, we have to shoot it in a way where we can see everything happening in the foreground and background you know, around them. So that's, that's the kind of thing that, that I would do. Um, you know, wherever I can. Yeah, the show never lags. I mean, the pace of it is just, I mean, it's like, when do you breathe? You know, I mean, it's just, it's either a joke or someone's getting bludgeoned to death or, I mean, it's like, there's always something. Yes. That's the difference. I think you said earlier, the the difference, I mean, I love King of the Hill and Bob's Burgers and stuff too, but that's the difference is that this show has like almost a second thing going on behind it where there's always something. Yes. Yes. I mean, it, it, they're, they're, the shows are so dense. I mean, both Rick and Morty and Solar Opposites are breakneck. Like, you know, you have, you have to be on as a viewer, like, all the time. And you're, you know, you're laughing at something and you'll miss something else. I'm always pausing and backing up 10 seconds, <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah. what? it's like, you know, wait a minute, what did I miss? And it's like, there, you know, that's sort of one thing that's like, I like about streaming. It's just such a quick back it up real fast and just see what I missed, you know? And this is definitely the show where you can't leave it out in the background. It's not, it's not a cartoon. You can just, you got to watch this, you know, you got to invest. And that's yes, what I like absolutely. about it. And it pays dividends. Well, that's why people always tell me that they've they've watched episodes of Rick and Morty like multiple times, and you know I, I think that that Solar Opposites is going to be similar. Like you, you, people are going to be like, "What what happened?" And then they'll go back and they'll pick up new things with each passing viewing. Um, I love that. You know, it keeps it keeps it really fun and interesting. Uh, we're going to go soon, but before we do. 
I wanted to talk about The Little Red Rocket, your book. What can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah, that was a book that I did um, just on my spare, in my spare time. I was working on Bob's Burgers and I was getting like, you know, you draw Bob's Burgers all the time. It's kind of like the same thing. So I wanted to flex that other part of me that loves science fiction and illustration and, you know, weird design and character. So I, I had this idea for a long time to, to do a kind of a, a revisionist Little Red Riding Hood in science fiction in, in space, um, tran- transposing it to space. Um, and so I just, you know, said, I, I'm, I'm going to work on this from beginning to end until it's finished. That's the only way to get anything kind of independent done. It's like if you just kind of, so just on a day-to-day basis, you know, like every day I'd come home and do a little bit. And over, over the course of uh, a year, I was able to finish uh, a children's book and color it. And, you know, um, so that, yeah, that's, that's what I did. It's your baby for sure. Where can we buy this? Where can we find it? You can buy it on Amazon. You can just look it up and it, you just order it. Yeah. It's amazing. You can, you can just publish stuff now. It's, it's, it's really amazing. Excellent. All right. I have one last question for you because we always try to like uh, recommend stuff to people that they haven't heard of. Is there something that you've come across in the last year or so that you're like, man, I wish more people had heard about this thing, this documentary, this uh, whatever, Any, anything you want to throw out there? Like, Hey, check out this thing. Wow. What have I seen? God, you caught me off guard. I wish. I- <laughs> well, you're you're probably you're probably working on your own projects. You're probably too busy. We don't have lives. <laughs> we got plenty of time to watch television. You know, it's all we do. But I think like the things that I like are pe- things that probably a lot of other people like too. What do you watch when you're not when you're not working on your own stuff? When I'm not working on my own stuff. Well, I I loved um, Watchmen on HBO. I thought that that was. That was really amazing. Oh, yes. Oh, God. Joe was not a fan. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I'm a huge fan of the original, and I love the fact that they took it in a completely different direction. Right. And, um, but used the same universe, and it, it really it really worked for me. What else do I – so I, I very often put on kind of like um, just just lectures <laughs> and documentaries and stuff. Um, that I that I watch uh, while I'm working because I have to stick with stuff that's very much like you know verbal so I can just listen to it. Ah, of course, yeah. You can't get distracted by the visuals when you're working on visuals. Let's see. Uh, there's um, I I like listening to. There's a guy named Christopher Ryan who I listen to. He's a he's a podcaster, um, and he wrote a book called Civilized to Death that was really uh, impressive, and I, I loved it. And it's about how civilization is designed against our nature as kind of nomadic hunter gatherers. And he looks back into history and brings up examples of like how civilization kind of has works against our instinct for empathy and communalism, and um, forces us to kind of pursue this this kind of selfish gain. And he has a podcast called Ted Tangentially Speaking, which I really enjoy listening to. So I guess I'll plug that. Cool. Okay. Anything else you want to plug? Where can people find you? 
Um, you can find me on Solar Opposites. That's where I am. It's a great Perfect. show. I, we we, <laughs> yeah. we both really liked it a lot. It's uh, you know, we always give things either a binge or a purge. Obviously, it's a binge. Of course, it was really funny, man. It's, it's such a great show, and I, I like a lot of your work. It's really cool to talk to you. Yeah, Anthony. Before you go, though, a good friend of mine, one of the lawyer listeners, he knew you were going to be on the show, and he wanted to ask if you remember him. Uh-huh. Uh, he worked on Turbo Fast with you. His name is Greg Golden. Of course. Yes. Greg. Yeah. Okay. Good. He's such a sweet person. I really like. Yeah. He's he's a total sweet. Of course. Yes. Yes. He's one of my best friends. I went to college with him and Karen Parada. So. No way. Oh, okay. Greg. Greg's great. I I loved working with him. He's just a really sweet, funny, and and really generous spirit I, he's 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 wonderful he'll love to hear that he's listening right now and he's going to be like i knew he's going to be psyched he's going to be psyched <laughs> all right greg are you happy excellent <laughs> anyway that's it anthony chun of solar opposites supervising director thank you so much for taking the time to be on binge or purge we totally appreciate it man hey thanks anthony oh it was wonderful wonderful experience thank you so much for having me on you got it, man. Have a good one. We'll see ya. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That was really cool, man. I'm glad we got to do that. That was cool. Solar Opposites on Hulu, eight episodes, and it's coming back for a second season. He said so. He's working on it right now. Yep. So I think, uh, I mean, it's clear that that's a, uh, that's a total binge, right? <laughs> so what else we got? I have an ad. Oh, yeah, we have, yes, a we have a new sponsor this week. Fantastic. It is Pants. <laughs> Are you ready, Joe? Yeah, please go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Pants, remember us? Sure, wearing the same basketball shorts for two months has been a lot of fun. But someday soon, we hope, you're going to care about what's on your legs again. Pants. Don't be fooled by cheap imitations like pajama bottoms or sweats. No! Real pants will make you feel so good and help restore some of that self-esteem that has eroded over the last two and a half months. Pants! Be sure to use promo code BINGERPURGE for 50% off when you can actually go to a store. Thank you, Pants, for sponsoring Binger Purge. Wow, we just keep getting bigger and better sponsors. We are, and we're glad to have Pants back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Someday real soon, we hope. All right, now what do you say we review something? Let's do it. Okay? All right, you you go ahead. I have a stand-up special just came out on Netflix by someone everybody knows. It is Jerry Seinfeld, 23 Hours to Kill. What is the deal with the stand-up specials? That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. (laughs) Now, Joe, you watched this? Uh, Yeah. Okay. I think a lot of people have watched it already. It's sort of like if you're in comedy, you have to watch whatever Jerry's putting out there. Now, here's the thing, kids. His two opening bits about great and sucks and Pop-Tarts are old. And I'm asking you right now, what is Jerry Seinfeld doing putting out a brand new stand-up special with bits I have seen? That's a fantastic question. Tell me, because I saw him do do the sucks and great bit on Jimmy Fallon like two years ago. This is a guy who has a separate special, well, documentary, really, about creating a whole new hour just by going out and and just making things up as he goes, which uh, is is a weird process to me. I've never really understood guys that do that. So, yeah, to see him do old bits in a new special is a little odd. I was like, are you kidding me? Really, Jerry? 
Now, who am I to criticize? I'm a no one. But you do notice these things. You would think like the number one comedian would give you nothing but new material. Yeah. Right? You finish your review and then I'll weigh in at the end. Okay. Set that aside. It's typical Jerry. He's, He's firing off on all cylinders here. This goes by fast. Sometimes I watch stand-up specials that are an hour long, and I'm like, is this an hour and a half, two hours? I thought this thing was over in half an hour. You saw my special? Yeah. <laughs> he flies through this. I mean, it is well-paced. I couldn't, when, it, when he hit his last joke, I was like, that's it? And I looked, and I was like, that's an hour. He's really got it down. I mean, it's constantly entertaining. Like, what am I supposed to say about this other than, like, if you know who Jerry is, you know the type of humor he is, you're either on board or you're not, right? Yeah, it, it's exactly what you would expect. Is it Okay, you want me to give my thing now? Please. Because I have a little different opinion. Okay. I didn't like it. Really? I thought it was tired. Okay. On Rotten Tomatoes, not that that's the Bible for anything, but it has a 75 with the critics, 49 with the audience. Mm-hmm. It's rotten with the audience because people are like, yeah, we get it. What's up with the Pop-Tart? What, like, like, it's so well, tired. That, it's so tired. He's using old bits. That's how tired it is. Yeah. I still think it was enjoyable. Like sure. I said, I thought it moved fast, but was I howling? I laughed out loud once. I don't remember yeah. what bit it was. It was somewhere near the end, and I was like, that's legit funny. But most of the time, it's I'm kind of passive when I watch it. And yeah. I was too hung up on the fact that he had done these bits before. I know I'm focusing on it a little too much, but it's really stuck in my brain how he'd release a new stand-up special with shit that I have seen. Let's cut right to the chase, because if you're over the age of 50 and you like Jerry Seinfeld, you're going to like this, because that's what it is. It's good. If you're a comic who's really critical of other comics, you're not going to like it. Yeah. It's not his best work. No. But for the sake of our audience, is it worth watching? Yes. Okay. So let's give it a binge. Binge. Okay. Now I will see your Jerry Seinfeld special. Mm -hmm. Again, 23 Hours to Kill on Netflix. And I will raise you Louis C.K.'s new stand-up special sincerely available only on his website because no one will put anything out that he uh, does ever again much better stand-up special and get this uh i I was going to ask you to guess but i know you hate that seinfeld's got a 75 with the critics 49 with uh the audience louis ck has an 80 with the critics critics are accepting him again i mean say whatever you want about the guy he's obviously kind of a dirtbag but this is one of the best comedy specials I've seen in a long time. You can only get it on his website, louisck.com. You paid for it? Yeah, $7.99. I'm sure you could find it like on Torrance or something too, but it was everything I wanted it to be. And, and, and by the way, talk about repeating material. He had that leaked set like a year ago that was all new stuff. Yeah. And very controversial stuff. The school shooting things. Yeah, and- a lot of, I mean, just stuff that he does. Right. This was all new material. Nothing even in that leaked club set was on there. It was, it was new from start to finish. And I don't know how... Where is he testing all this that's stuff? That's a fantastic question. I have no idea. But he comes out with a new hour every year, even when he's not playing clubs. I don't know what he does. He does it at home or something. How can he be that confident in your material to know it's that good without testing it? He's got to be testing it somewhere. There's no other way to do it. No comedian can just come out with an hour of new material without putting it in front of an audience. You bring up a good point because let's talk about someone like Daniel Tosh 
or Donald Glover or some of these guys that all of a sudden have a Comedy Central special. And you're like, these guys aren't out in the clubs. Somebody wrote it for them and they shot it, you know, twice in a row and piped in laughter and used audience shots from other specials, which they definitely do. You know, you could produce it to make it look like it's great too, but I don't know. You have a writer's room or something? I mean, I don't think he does that, but look, he's the comics comic in in every bad and good sense of that uh, description. Here's the thing. The whole time you've been laughing at Louis C.K. saying, oh my God, he's the best. No one's better than him right now. He's killing it. I love Louis C.K. He was that dirtbag. He was doing all those dirtbag things that he got in trouble for when you loved him and you thought he was hilarious. Now that you know he's a dirtbag, you can't find him funny anymore? I don't know. I'm asking. Yeah. I'm playing devil's advocate because, you know, obviously you can still listen to him. I guess we're not allowed to like him, but funny is funny. No? Funny is funny. And, you know, you'd have to, we talked about this before. You'd have to go through LACMA and start ripping a lot of paintings off the wall if you're going to judge artists for their personal behavior. You know, Picasso I, was a son of a bitch. Oh, Dr. Dre. A, a lot of, a lot of people just have terrible stories. And, you know, whatever, like you've done dirtbag things, too, I'm sure. Maybe not anything like Louis C.K. or maybe 10 times worse. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> We're just talking about the comedy special right now. Yeah. It's hilarious. And it's better than Seinfeld. And it's brand spanking new. No pun intended. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's really good. It's $7.99. The trick is like, you have to get it on his website. And then you have to have like a smart TV or something you can like cast it to. Because you can't, like, buy it on your TV. You have to have something. Wait, can like... I play it on my computer? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But if you have, like, just a TV, you, you wouldn't be able to watch it on your TV. You'd have to get can it Can I take computer. an HDMI cable out of my computer and patch it in and just I guess. play it off my computer? Yeah, but point being, like, it's it's not it's not on demand. It's not VOD. It's not on Amazon or Netflix. Right, and probably never will be. No, nothing he ever does again will be. But, you know, that might work out better for him, honestly. He's making eight bucks a pop. He probably sold you know, 100,000 copies of this thing. That might be more than he would have made selling it to Netflix. I don't know. Who knows? So, but hey, hey, he's putting it out there. Sincerely, Louis C.K.'s new special. Don't hold it against me, but I thought it was great. I thought it's a binge. All right, let's recap and get out of here. We talked about Solar Opposites on Hulu. Eight episodes with our guest supervising director Anthony Chun. It was great. We had an awesome interview with him. We got to have more interviews like this. Yeah. It's, I, we, you know, we don't know what we're doing, folks, when we interview people. So you got to give us a little leeway. We're just, it's a work in progress when we interview folks. So I'm, I'm happy with how this one turned out. Then we watched Jerry Seinfeld, 23 Hours to Kill. We said it was a light binge because... It seems a little tired. I complained over the fact that he's doing bits that I've seen him do before in a new special. That doesn't make it a new special. And then finally, Joe had Sincerely, which is available on Louis C.K.'s personal website for how much? $7.99, louisck.com. Joe loved it, said it was a definite binge. Yeah. Now, let me uh, throw one last quick thing in. Um, I think we should give a uh, postmortem binge to comedic actor Jerry Stiller, who passed away. Absolutely. Really funny guy, and he'll be missed. He's in so many great things. We, we can't even, we don't have time to list them all. Send us an email, binge or purge podcast at gmail.com. 
Twitter at binge or purge, Instagram at binge or purge podcast. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Listen Note, uh, YouTube, everywhere. And that's it for this week. For Joe Taylor, my name is Demo. This has been Binger Purge Streaming Reviews. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.